Welcome to Emerald's Podcast, episode number 110. This is your host, Suman Silwal. I'd like to welcome Dan Crapton, Greg Hartfield, Drew Cargill, and Mike Roy uh, to Emerald's Podcast. Uh, today, we'll be talking about Pinhoti, all related to Pinhoti. Everything has to do with Pinhoti. Pinhoti is uh, less than two weeks now. A lot of you are coming to Pinhoti or going to Pinhoti. And I just want to bring everybody. Uh, looks like uh, Michael will do a little bit of uh, do the co-hosting today, help me to ask some question or answer, or, or either way, we can make it an open forum, guys, here. For experience-wise, I think I have finished Pinhoti twice. Michael has done six times. Greg has done three times, I think, Greg. And uh, Dan has uh, one finishing. And Drew is a first-timer, so we'll just kind of mix it up and see how what comes out of, <laughs> end of this podcast. Welcome to Emerald's Podcast. So let's start with uh, the newcomer, uh, the, the new Pinhoti here. Drew, you and I, we saw each other uh, about a... Whenever the twelve-hour run, and you kind of chasing me and asked me all the question about Penhody, are you ready now? It's a week, a week and a half away. Are you ready now? Yeah, I do. I feel pretty good, man. I feel strong. Um, I'm just trying to uh, to to get the taper going and and not not do too much. You know, just kind of strike a balance. Uh, I'm not real sure about tapering. I mean, I do know you have to cut your mileage, but it just scares me to cut it so much. But I don't know. I'm just playing with it, but I do feel strong, and uh, I'm, I'm feeling confident. So since I saw you that time earlier in May till now, how much mile have you logged in? What kind of mile did you do? You're from uh, Demopolis area, so you don't have much that's, trail that's right out there. So tell us about uh, I'm, in, I'm in Hale County, but I've been going over to uh, – I've been actually going over to Bonita Lakes over in Meridian. They got a good a good trail set up there at Bonita and uh, with, some, with some good climbing. From what I hear, it kind of mirrors some of Penhody, so it's a good good training trail to train on for Penhody. But, you know, I've been I've been getting a, a good long run of 26 to 30, you know, on Saturday and then following that up with like 12 to 15 or so on Sunday. And then you're throwing in some uh, six and fours and fives during the week. So, you know, and with that doing, I've done, uh, let's see, two 250-milers, I did Rebecca Mountain and, uh, you know, some 50-milers, some 50Ks. I did Blood Rock, Blood Rock 50K. So I've done a lot of races, you know, mixed in with that, too. That sounds like a great training, um, Drew. I mean, you guys tell me if that that sounds good or not enough. At this point, it doesn't matter. But uh, (laughs) Well, everyone is their own uh, experiment, so to speak, so... Uh, Greg, you ran the Rebecca Mountain 50-miler also, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, that was my one training run for this, and it was a pretty much a total disaster for me. Um, you, you finished, right? Yeah, I finished. I, I just, it felt like I walked a lot from miles 12 to 30. Uh, you know, the, the heat kind of got me and got me behind on my nutrition and everything else, and uh, that just took it out of me that day. Yeah, I think that um, this is Michael Roy, by the way. All those runs in the heat this summer are really, um, they're really going to benefit you now that the temperature has broken and it looks like it's going to be a, a high of 60s during the day and maybe as low as 49, 48 in the evening at Penhody. And that will turn that your race you know, completely around. So I'm looking forward to that, and I'm hoping that the temperatures do play out to the, the way they're forecasted now, with a very, very low chance of rain. Also, yeah, that's uh, last year. Last year we had a really hot weather and took out a lot of us. So everybody, if you know, we're finishing up with our final training runs, and 
I've noticed just in my last couple of runs that um, it's like a, a, a breath of fresh air, not running in the heat. Just a drop of 10 degrees helps so much. Uh, do you guys agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Temperature is everything. I mean, when it gets super duper hot, you, you don't want to eat. You don't want to drink. You, you just kind of get behind the game. And it's well, a lot harder to manage. And, and that humidity drop is going to be a huge help as well. Right. And that should continue to go down which will make finishing a 100-miler a lot more enjoyable. It'll still be hard, but it gives you a, it gives you a lot better chance. Hey, Greg, uh, you told us that uh, you finished, uh, you have done seven pin hoodie, um so far, and uh, you, you, were, you dropped out four, you have completed three. You're going back again uh, trying to get your fourth one. Uh, tell us why. You keep on going back to Pinhoti, you know. You have seen that course over and over, uh, so so you want to go back again. Why 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 Pinhoti? Well, uh, I guess the first thing is it's a really special race. You know, there aren't that many point to point hundred milers, so to speak. Especially you know, two hours from my house. I mean, we lived in Atlanta, and it was two hours. We now live in Birmingham. It's two hours, and it's it's just a really good challenge if nothing else i mean i I just like going out and seeing it um it's beautiful course uh first 25 can lull you to sleep but uh it's just just a great time out there figure one day i'll better my uh, finishing rate uh, (laughs) uh you know it's always a way to measure myself I like I like running the same events over and over and over and, and seeing if I can get better or seeing how I can change things and just learning more about that. What were the distances of your four drops? How far did you get in each race? First two years, I dropped at Adams Gap, so 56 miles. Finished the third year. The fourth year, it was a drop at mile 60. And uh, last year was a drop at 26. I had a busted ankle. Okay. So the the last one was due to an injury. How about the other ones? Uh, just lost the lost the game. Uh, got behind on my nutrition the first two years. Didn't really know what I was doing, and uh, you know everyone can run like a, a bat out of hell getting to bald rock. Yeah. But then you start figuring out that hey, we're gonna have to run at night for a long, long time. Uh, you know, thirteen, fourteen hours of night time. That's kind of daunting, and uh, I just couldn't handle it mentally. So I checked out it at that point and you know lined up a ride for uh adam's gap and you know took off with my tail between my legs the uh the third dnf what was that 2014 i had lost my nutrition i had decided i wouldn't drop at adam's gap so i i made it to uh claremont gap instead and just had no energy at, at that point and just couldn't find my way out of it. It sounds like you do like those challenges and keep coming coming back and uh, going back to the Pinhoti and see, like you said, see where you stand every year. That's a that's a great, great thing because some people will not want to do it again <laughs> once you go through so many times of a defeat, you know. Well, I guess the other fear is if you don't support an event, then it won't be there anymore uh you know so so many times you see it with street races if you don't go well then they're they're not going to have the event and so it'd be a shame if you know great trail races that we like go away because no one runs them did you know that there are 300 people signed up for this year's race it surprised me that how many people were signed up that's a pretty big field isn't it yeah 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 those numbers have been going up over the years so i mean it's 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 definitely a healthy race. Just uh, I always feel like I need to support the event. Definitely. Oh, I agree. I agree. Uh, I will not be running this year, but uh, 
I have scared my family last two races I have two hundreds I've done, so kind of taking a step back and look at my issues and see if I can resolve it and come back hard, so hopefully I can come back on it. Dan, uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, you dropped out uh, 20, what, 2015, 2016, and last year, 2017, last year you completed. Uh, I remember you passing me overnight, um, looked very strong. Uh, tell us your story. Uh, why, why did you go back? I know that you trained hard to go back. So You know, for me, um, 2015 was really, you know, an invaluable lesson of um, how to have a race plan that's way too complicated and really go into it with probably being a little bit overtrained in some ways. Um, I realized at that point, you know, I really did not have my diet and nutrition where it needed to be. And, and I'm a, you know, I'm kind of a shorter stocky guy and went into 2015, probably weighing about 10 pounds more than I needed to. And then of course that was the rain year as well. It, you know, a lot of folks, I know like Michael, I think that was one of his fastest years. And, uh, you know, folks like Emily Kennedy, well, you know, you have heard her talk about, you know, how fast she was in the rain. It did just the opposite to me. Um, I, I was off pace the entire race. And um, I did have a fairly complicated plan for support and crew and pacers. And I think I spent probably too much time worrying about those folks helping me where they were going to be. And I made it to Porter's Gap and... Um, you know, it had been raining and raining and raining, I don't know, 20 some odd hours. And, you know, I think I, I said, um, I think I'm done. And and my crew immediately went, okay, well, let's go. Because they were tired of sitting in the car for 20 something hours in the rain themselves. So um, I knew I had to, uh, I had to go back and do it again. I knew I had to retool you know, re- rework my training, rework my, you know, pre-race nutrition as well, and try to go into it really with just a much more simple plan of it really just being me and maybe, you know, a small crew and one pacer. And so, um, you know, my keys in 2017, one is I, you know, I dropped the weight that I needed to at the beginning of my training cycle. Um, I stuck with running really all of the Pinhoti Trail Series races and a few other races. But I kind of uh, I kept my total mileage up like a typical uh, 100-miler you know, training would look like. But the one thing I did different in 2017 is I incorporated two to three days of hot yoga into my uh, schedule every week. And um, mm. I'm going to tell you, I think that made all the difference in the world because what I really needed was core strengthening um, I, you know, had had in the past times when I'd get to, you know, that 50 mile distance or beyond and, you know, things like your back start hurting your shoulders, your, you know, all these things that aren't, you don't think about as being your running muscles, um, start to cause problems. And so I really did feel like hot yoga, if nothing else, it gave me a degree of confidence that I'd worked really hard on that in addition to my mileage. And so, you know, I was only running three days a week, sometimes four days a week, but um, but still getting the bigger bigger miles in just in fewer sessions. So for me, 2017 went fairly well. It was very hot. Thankfully, the hot yoga probably also helped me with that uh, as well. And um, you know, I felt like I had a pretty solid race. I had one pacer um, and uh, who picked me up at Adams Gap and went the you know the other 45 miles with me. So you know, I would not have finished that. Ra- well, I probably would have finished that race even without Justin Morris's help. But he did a phenomenal job of just keeping me going because that last couple of miles last year 
when that sun came back up and I was out on the road, I was over it. <laughs> I didn't even care if I finished, even though I was, you know, with it, you know, less than five miles to go. And um, I'm willing to bet you 25 runners passed me on that paved road that is looks like it's 20 miles long because I, I was just barely walking at that point. But, um, but you know, I felt like I had a good race. You know, I made it uh, feeling really strong, really all the way to about mile 90. And like I said, the heat really did a number on me um, at the very end there. But, uh, but I knew I was going to finish at that point. So, yeah, you know, I am going to go back next year. Um, I have a lot of respect for folks like Michael and Greg and others that have gone back year after year because yeah, you know, I actually, my Penn Hody story goes back to being a, a teenager and backpacking and so I'm just fascinated with, you know, love the trail, love the area and, and another thing too that I did in 2017 is I probably put in and about 500 miles worth of training time on the trail in 2017. So um, between races and, uh, in, you know, training runs, spent a lot of time on the trail. So that familiarity, I think, can make things easier at times as well. So I like your point about simplifying things from one year to the next as a lesson learned that, that that's a that's a tremendous thing that i learned over time as well i had a ridiculous ridiculous plan of six pacers for my first attempt <laughs> it was, it was a, a, the, just the dumbest thing ever and um you know i would tell you Ju- justin just having the one pacer and of course you know he's got a lot of miles under his belt and is an expert almost in this in this hundred mile thing but um that makes a whole lot more sense. And I know we want to get a lot of friends and family involved sometimes, but you know, I, I needed somebody out there who knew what they were doing a lot more than I did for sure. Yeah. When I started this, you know, it used to be, you'd have four pairs of shoes, six hats, a visor, a beanie, you know, you had all this stuff and now it's like, maybe I'll change my shirt once. <laughs> you want to make as few decisions as humanly possible on this trail you just want to deal with the circumstances and move on that's what i've learned over over the years yeah i agree with that i had toyed with the ideal of not even having just minimal stuff in a drop bag like batteries and not having all the backup things you could spend a lot of time at the aid stations and not realize that you're doing that and when there are like 17 aid stations five minutes in an aid station starts adding up when you multiply it times 10 or 15 yeah i'm not bold enough to forgo uh backup batteries but uh you can have a technical failure uh i'm yeah, gonna be prepared correct. for that but you don't need 18 different shirts to wear you don't, you don't need <laughs> you know to change your socks every aid station you know you can you can go for a while and suffer. That's the way I'm going towards it these days. I feel like I've done better in races when I, I had very little variables involved, where it was really just about, I'm just going to finish this race, and that's all I'm thinking about, not anything else. My, my last 100, um, I cruised into the mile 44 aid station. <coughs> all I was thinking about was, you know, I wanted this out of my drop bag, and I was so focused on it and everything else that I forgot completely to get my headlamp out of the drop bag. Was that and, at uh, Kettle Moraine? That, that was Kettle Moraine, yeah. And uh, didn't realize it until we got to the Mile 63 aid station. But uh, when it became nighttime and I went to turn it on, you know, sometimes you, you got this drop bag jam full of stuff and, and you just kind of forget what you really, really need. For Penhody, does everybody um, have a headlamp plan for Bald Rock drop bag? Oh, yeah, certainly. <laughs> yes. I did in... in- 
in 17 because I was afraid that, you know, I'd be cutting it close. And I didn't need it, of course, but um, I did in 15. Of course, we had the time change the week before that year, so I wasn't going to take any chances with that. I mean, I always carry a small flashlight at all times during 100 and yeah. uh, pick up. In the, uh, the Pinhoti case, I mean, your drop bags are Baldrock or Adam's Gap, and I'm not fast enough to get it at Adam's Gap. So uh, normally it gets dark at, at Silent Trail, the next aid station, so I need it at Bald Rock. Definitely. I, Sometimes I just carry a headlamp from the beginning just for backup. Uh, one other thing uh, Carl Metzer talked about, ha- having a drop back every, everywhere, every five. Uh, that's what he talks about if you listen to his podcast. He would like to drop it just in case uh, your your crew and uh, cannot make it there. It has happened to me. My crew thought I went. I was going too fast, so they said they just had not show up at the <laughs> ball rock, and I was I was dying at the at, at the ball rock, and they were at the silent trail. But but one thing I noticed from my last year last year experience, um, definitely ball rock and uh, Pinnacle. Those are the two places I really needed drop bags. Um, I think Pinnacle has drop bags, correct? If you guys correct me. No, it's just no. It's Porter's, Porter's Gap. Gap. Oh, okay. I didn't realize Pinnacle. Okay. Definitely. Porter's Gap, Bull's Gap. Yeah. The five drop bags are spaced out perfectly for battery changes. And that's another thing about Pinodia. And I don't know that much about other races. Maybe, Greg, you've run a couple other 100s, right? Yeah. Thunder Rock uh, all three years. Kettle Moraine uh, this most recent year. So how does um, Pinhody stack up against these other um, 100 miles, 100 milers? Uh, as far as aid stations and drop bag locations? Thunder Rock, the aid stations were way further apart. I think there were like maybe 10 total. You know, in that one, you'd only see your crew like five times if you had one. And uh, aid stations were much further apart. Drop bags were further apart. Kettle Moraine, they had a 29 aid stations between manned and unmanned. They were very well equipped. Very, very good places. Um, I, I can't say a bad thing about the Kettle Moraine drop bag situation because, you know, I, I left my headlamp at mile 44 and uh, mile 63 was the turnaround and start finish. And my bag was there by the time I got there. So I was able to get my headlamp from the mile 44 drop bag and mile 63. Totally saved my bacon there. That's that's nice. So, yeah. So, Drew, uh, listen to all this uh, Ben Hodier's uh, we've gone, gone through. What, what's in your mind right now? What are you thinking? I have a big question, and uh, let me say this. I, You know, I have a plan. Everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face, you know what I mean? But So, my at the at the beginning, I, I've been told it's a, it's a pretty good bottleneck starting. So, do, would you guys think we need to line up maybe in the middle toward the front? Or I, I've just heard a lot of people say they lose a lot of time at the beginning because they're moving really slow, you know, in the crowd. Just ride it out. I agree. I would say just ride it out and not worry about that. If you start too far ahead and you're not a really, really strong runner, you would be forced to run a lot faster than your overall average race pace would be. And the number of people trying to get around you will that will affect your race as much as being behind somebody for just a little while. Honestly, it seems like a long time, but by the time you get a couple miles into a race, things kind of work themselves out. But if you overrun the first couple aid stations in this race, you, you pay for that later on. Everyone can run fast at the start of 100. It's can you still run at the end. But th- those are some enjoyable miles, the first 18 or so miles. Yeah, it's always fun. I mean, you, you find out the most about people. 
in those first 18 ish. Uh, you know, people are kind of chatty at that point. They're all around, you know, Everybody's find out where excited. people are from, find out what their story is. You know, it's, it's a good time. I, I, I enjoy the first couple of miles. I have uh, talking about that uh, getting sucked in and uh, going fast. Uh, I have been in that train. Um, I did ride a train. I was holding uh, somebody. He wanted me to stay in front of him, but he was much faster than me. He finished 22 hours, and I finished 29 hours. I was trying to hold him <laughs> as far after 18 miles. I didn't see him, and about mile 27, I started my 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 back and my knees start hurting. So so it's just to answer your question is just. Just be careful what how where you where where you are and how competitive you get at the beginning. Yeah, I guess the one caveat is I will try to get to an aid station at the head of a train. You know, I, I don't want to be at the back end of a train of twenty people walking into an aid station. I'll try to you know make a move maybe to get ahead at that point, but I'm I'm not going out with the fasties by any stretch. So Drew, uh, for your uh, plan, uh, how many? Crews and pay, crew and pacer. Is it pretty complicated, like what uh, Greg or Dan was talking about, or is it? Do you have simplified process there? Um, I think a little of both. I think uh, my wife and my dad are going to be they're going to be crewing for me, and I've got a pacer from uh, from forty to sixty five, and then a pacer from seventy five to eighty five. So, and I have a I have another guy from eighty five to you know. 95 or whatever if i need him so i mean it's fairly simple i think i did i did try to go the simple simple route as simple as possible but we're again we're testing the waters a little bit so she did crew at, at ball i mean at uh at the blood rock 50 miler and she did excellent so so it was it was it was a good time everything was where it needed to be so so dan you talked about uh having a very complicated plan what what do you think about this uh, uh this uh i think there's i think you do need uh when is the most uh you need a you know, pacer or crew when when you need it when when do you need it the most i think at night for sure correct or late in the morning how, how does that all work for you guys um you know i think i needed it more in the early morning of the of the next day more than i did overnight um overnight didn't bother me that much huh normally i come alive when when you know you hit bull's gap and, and the sun starts coming up and all that i i, I struggle once we leave pinnacle though that, that pinnacle a, to wormy's pulpit to bull's gap just crushes me in the overnight that's, a lo- that's the longest five miles of the race is um between pinnacle and wormy's um, yeah five five miles my mm, yeah <laughs> is it is that is that where you hear the band or hear the party, but you can't get to it? Is that where that is? Oh, well, that's, Pinnacle that's on is. The trip up the mountain to um, Pinnacle is where you'll you will hear the music for a long time before you get there. And, and they call it Pinnacle, but it ain't the top. I mean, <laughs> after Pinnacle, you know, to Wormy's Pulpit and other stuff, you still feel like you're going up for days. So don't don't yeah. think all the climbing's over just because you hit Pinnacle. Now there's about three more miles of climbing. <laughs> that's a that's a long climb. You keep going. The course has simplified just a little bit uh, around that area. I felt this last time I ran last year, but I remember running those hills, kept them going up and up and up. So talking about this uh, from all all of you guys' experience, what is the hardest part of this this pin hoodie? I mean, we all have different experience being hard, correct? For me, is my back started giving out last year. I had a I had a safing issue and all those. Um, so I kept on going until I finished, but it was not pretty finished, but I finished. But what are those things that you guys have encountered? 
for me, the hard part is just nutrition, staying on top of it. Uh, I'm kind of a picky eater. I, I don't do ramen or broth or any of that stuff. Um, so, you know, trying to find a, a ham and cheese sandwich in the middle of the night sometimes can be complicated or, a, you know, a good quesadilla or whatever. But uh, that, that that's the biggest struggle for me. You know, I, I might cruise into Bald Rock and, and not really like the offerings at that aid station for whatever reason. Then you get on the Silent Trail and maybe Hubbard Creek is going through a, a shift change and, you know, they, they don't have food ready. Um, not, you know, I, I love the Hubbard Creek aid station. Uh, you can stay there all day if you want to. But, uh, you know, sometimes you, you just kind of miss out on the food that you want is what I'm trying to say. And then it snowballs on you. Next thing you know, you're cruising into Pinnacle and you've had no calories for, you know, five hours. And you're on fumes. So that, that, that's my big struggle. I've never had any problems uh, eating or getting the calories in. I uh, Really, you know, that's kind of what keeps me going mentally as well. But I think the big struggle, you know, in the later stages of the race is just realizing, you know, sometimes how much you've slowed down and you just don't realize it without somebody telling you. And um, I kind of think back to, Suman, if you remember me pacing you at Lake Martin, um, I can remember uh, at one point you you would say, "Hey, I'm going to start running," and you would be making the motion like you were running, but I would just be walking behind you. And you would you wouldn't realize it. <laughs> I so, remember that. You know, <laughs> you, you just you just don't you think you're still going the same speed you were at mile 25, you know, at mile 75, but you're really only going about two miles an hour at that point. And so it's coming to realize some of that and pushing harder when you can is. I think a struggle for me. I agree with that. I agree that your level of effort seems to be the same later in the race, but the minutes per mile just keep slowing down. I really don't have that 100% figured out yet. Well, and uh, and one example for Penhody for me is um, Silent Trail and Skyway Trail. You know, before you get to Adams Gap, uh, both of my races that that section took twice as long as I projected it would take. And I, I don't even, I don't know how, if there's like a time warp there or what, but um, you know, some of those sections you think you're going to get done, you know, in a normal amount of time and you realize, Oh great. That took me twice as long as I thought it would. Uh, that's true. Every year I've had different challenges and every year, I mean, penhody has been a different race every year because if it's a real cold year, the trail's different than the warmer years and, of course, the rainy year, it was different. So it's like a completely different race sometimes. And um, I've had challenges because when I first started running, I was wearing minimalist shoes. And then I realized that having a shoe with no cushion at all at mile 75, your feet are going to be just battered. So one year it was shoes. And then a, another year I went with um, thicker cushion shoes, but they were... Um, the year it rained, they were real slick, and I must have fallen down 10 times that day in, in the rain. So I've had, you know, different challenges every year, and you just adapt and keep moving. I haven't I haven't had the nutrition problem, though. Um, I mostly used, uh, I used Tailwind as my core nutrition during a race, and then after mile 40, I'll start supplementing with what the aid stations have, and it seems to have worked out for me. Yeah, I'm a fellow Tailwind user, but I use it more as a supplement than as primary. Um, I think I'm going to back off of it this year and use it like you as a supplement and not primary. You know, I, I stick to my, my regimen of Starburst minis 
for a lot of it and oranges from aid stations, but uh, I like my candy and Coke. I really enjoy the aid stations at Penhody once it gets dark. The Hubbard Creek one's fun. Yeah, that, that, that one's... You can spend a lot of time there. Especially if a football game's on. <laughs> I remember watching game last year, so... Yeah, what aid station is the game going to be on? Does anybody know? That would That's be a, um, Hubbard Creek. Usually. Aid, station, aid station 9. Yeah, mile 52. So, Drew, for your, uh, what do you call, advice from some of us around or running or running these things, and you probably know by now because you have done a lot of trail races, don't spend too much time in, in a single aid station. So I think me and you talked about, yeah. what, two, two minutes or so, two minutes? Yeah. But, well, you, you need to get done what you need to get done. But don't right. don't dilly dally, you know. Right. Don't 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 yeah. get too cozy, and don't stand by the fire for ten minutes, and then try to leave because you'll freeze. Yeah, yeah, it has happened to me. But yeah, I think the, other than your major aid station, you can you can highlight maybe on, on part of your trying to figure out what where you, where's the major. Ball Rock is always a major for me. Ball Rock, maybe Adams Gap, and uh, Pinnacle. Those are the three main ones. But the rest, I think you have to go in and out very quickly. I always consider Lake Morgan to be a uh, key station um, because, you know, you, you kind of – the first 27 is relatively pedestrian. It, it's real, pretty easy, very runnable. You know, you kind of – you get in a good groove. And then once you hit Lake Morgan, that, that stretch between Lake Morgan and CC Road, that, that, that's when it starts to, you know, fall apart for me. Yeah. It starts it's about seven and, a half, um, seven and a half miles. Yeah, it starts getting real for that one, I should say, because it is like well, a tough seven and a half. And Greg, that's the part too where you you spread out enough now you 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 have run the chance of being by yourself for a while, and you know, you know you've got a pretty good number of miles to put down before you start to feel like you're back in civilization again. I tell you what, I hit I hit my first wall before I get to the first drop bag at Lake Morgan. So I mean, the first time I feel like. Uh, the first time I asked myself the question, what am I doing out here? How am I going to finish this race is before I ever get to mile 27. You know, I, I used to have that question like later on, like 20 to 30 in that stretch. But now, yeah, it kind of happens early in that 15 to 20 range in terms of the mileage. It's like, what am I doing out here? Why, why are I at home with my family? And you got to push through that stretch. Yeah. One of the problems I had uh, last several hundreds uh, is a sleepiness at night uh, when I get so tired, you know, as the mile adds up, you get tired and tired. Uh, a couple of lake morn, I, I was weaving in left and right, and last lake morn, I literally slept for an hour, hour and a half. So so tell us about uh, those situations in Pinhody. What, uh, how do you, have you, have you, any of you had that issue? Uh, I don't know, Drew, you you trained at night, late night, or something like that, and how your night training is. Just kind of let's talk about that a little bit. Me personally, no, I I hadn't done a whole lot of night training. Just the uh, you know the blood rock a couple of weeks ago. I was, but that wasn't you know that wasn't in the in the wee hours of the morning. But you know I have worked some shift work here. It's been a it's been a couple of years now, but I'm I'm used to kind of staying up now. Now that may be a whole different thing than, than you know running through the night, but I'm I'm fairly good at, at 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 being up all night. But we'll we'll just have to see. Like I said, I don't know. That's a big uh, that's a big I don't know right now. So you, you know when you're by yourself, you don't realize how dumb you've become. But when you have to like interact with your crew and or pacer, you know they they you kind of you feel slow and sluggish, and and you realize 
quite simply how dumb the lack of sleep has made you. Um, <laughs> it's one reason I, I like to run solo. I don't feel as stupid. <laughs> Greg, do you have a pacer this year? No, sir. So you never had a pacer in the past? I, I've had pacers in the past, um, back when I started. But uh, again, you know, trying to simplify. They, they can be a tremendous help, um, but it's not, not really. It, it's also a tremendous uh, ask of people, you know, to have them donate their time and, and, and effort and take them away from their family to, to do this type of thing. I, I will say Kettle Moraine, I, I went into that, you know, just with the wife and kid crewing for, during the day on Saturday. And uh, I had a random pacer uh, just, you know, she was looking to run with somebody. She'd driven up from St. Louis and uh, she wanted to run. And she asked me if I needed a pacer. I said, yeah, let's go. And we ran from 70 to the finish. And that was a tremendous help, but I typically don't don't run with pacers. I've only run with a pacer once at Penhody, and it was it was my fastest Penhody. So I have to attribute having a pacer to helping with my faster race. And I'm going to use a pacer this year, like um, from – Adams Gap to the finish. Dan, was that you that finished with the pacer from Adams Gap to the finish? Justin? Yeah, Justin ran the rest of the way in with me. What did you? You said you benefited a lot from that. It sounds like. Well, back to Greg's point, um, I can't do basic math in the middle of the night when I've run eighty miles, and Justin is like a, a clock calculator because he would every mile he would you know start spouting off numbers and say okay here's what we need to do the next mile and that kind of thing so you know he definitely helped me with that piece just to not let that you know progression of getting slower you know catch up with me so cuz i looked at your finish time and you finished in what 29 hours and yeah um, 19 minutes or 17 minutes so you didn't leave yourself i mean it, it, the cutoff for penhody is what 30 hours yeah, 30. So um, that 20, um, 40 minutes of margin you had, so a pacer helping you manage could easily save you, you know, saved you that much time over running it solo. Yeah, he was in a good position to say, okay, with, you know, with what you did with that mile, you lost two minutes of cushion, or what you did on this mile, you gained three minutes of cushion. You know, and I slowed so much in that last 15 miles. I mean, Lisa Booer, for instance, passed me, I think, you know, almost at Bulls Gap, and she finished a full two hours ahead of me. Now, she was on fire when I saw her passing me, but that just shows that, you know, that big of a time swing can happen just in that last 15 miles, you know. Yeah, and that happens during 100 milers. You'll have people pass you, and it will um, it'll blow your mind how fast they're moving. And a little bit of that is what you said earlier about slowing down so much and not really realizing because your level i mean the effort level seems to be the same right and you but, may be but, only going 19 you know a 19 minute mile but yeah you want to be the guy running the next day <laughs> you don't be able, you don't want to be the anchor on on the next you you want to be the one where people go going holy crap he's on fire yeah well, that, that was that was not me for sure that day yeah, uh, talking about Lisa for last year, I was told all day she was catching up to me, and uh, eventually she caught up to me at Pinnacle, and um, I didn't see or saw her after that. So, uh, so it, but but my first year when I ran, like I said, I had a problem twenty seven, and I went the whole all the way past to Warmies, uh, and then then something happened, and then I just morning 
sun or something kicked in. I ran so fast to finish. Kind of like you said, something just happens. Um, so for you, Drew, just just have to hang in there. Just remember, keep moving forward. So yeah, I, uh, I saw the mythical uh, Jeremy Bagwell, you know, sprint to the finish from uh, what 2013, and uh, that guy was flying back then i think he passed me at like mile 95 96 and beat me by 30 minutes and, and i wasn't wasn't walking you know yeah he, he may, it may have been even more and lisa was involved in that situation because she was pacing him then and good grief <laughs> i guess moral of the story is you don't want lisa behind you at, at that point <laughs> she's coming <laughs> definitely so michael you had some questions well um andrew do you have um this is your first 100, so I know that your primary goal is you want to um, finish the race. But do you have another goal besides a finish? Do you have an A goal, a B goal, a C goal as far as I mean, time? Um, you know, I got 28 to 29 hours stuck in my head. That's kind of my plan. But but overall, I just want to, you know, finish under 30. So, you know, I want to finish as good as I can, but I, I – you know, I don't want to go out there guns blazing and, and mess my chances of finishing up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you plan on um, a lot of first timers that get out on a, even a course like this and up front, they say, I'm going to walk all the hills and run the flats and the downhills. Do you, do you have something like, like that in mind as a strategy? <laughs> That yeah, that's that's kind of the everybody I talk to. That's kind of what everybody tells me to do. Is that something I need to do, or you have a different idea? Well, I mean, a lot of it's based on your training, but um, you could you can run a lot of the hills. I actually tend to enjoy hills. You know, the downhills is what I don't really. I'd rather climb all day than go downhill. So I, I guess if you run a certain way on these 50 milers, you know, keep that up. Don't don't change what you're doing. Just uh, make sure you leave something in the tank. Um, I'll sort of disagree with something Greg said earlier when you called the first part of this race pedestrian. I've done two training runs this year on the Penhody, and one of them was on um, in the the first 40. And what struck me the most after not being on the trail. Um, for most of the year was how rugged the trail actually is. And this would be, you know, on the part when you're looking at that elevation map all the way to CC Road, which what aid station is that's right? 35. Okay. Yeah. So um, it it doesn't look, it doesn't look like there's a lot of elevation gain between between those two points. So that would be between start of the race and mile 35. In actuality, there's there's almost 4,000 feet of elevation gain during during that time. And the trail, in that first 35 miles, you're going to see, you're going to see rocky trail. You're going to see a trail with a campered slope. You know, it's sloping off to the right or to the left. You're going to see rocky portions and a lot of pine straw covered portions, but some of it will be on a steep downhill or a steep uphill where it's really slippery and you have to watch your footing. So, um, one thing that happened to me during my training run is I rolled my ankle twice in the first three miles of a training run. And that's um, with the excitement of starting a race, starting this 100 mile, and maybe I always start out a little bit faster than I should. And that's after doing it five times. I still do that. You're, you're at risk for rolling ankles or doing the, the trail 
the surface is just a lot more rugged than what um, I bet most people are used to running on in their training. If you go, like if you're from the Birmingham area and you go to Oak Mountain or Red Mountain Park, or if you're from out of state, a lot of the trails are not as, as what I guess what people call technical as pinhoting. And that, that'll slow you down too. Does anybody agree with that? Definitely, I do agree. But excitement of running with a whole bunch of uh, trail runners and running a hundred and pin hoodie just sucks me in. I'm I'm kind of that kind of person, just cheering and happy. And as you you can watch some of my videos uh, as I go progress, I go it thinks it go goes bad for me. But hey, I'm okay to just take that <laughs> first twenty miles, thirty miles, and. Uh, take it from there but that's not a good advice i would not recommend anybody but but i see see that movie playing over and over where people just um take it too much uh in in the first first uh whatever mile 27 miles 30 miles all the way to ball rock so goal here to finish guys the goal is to finish <laughs> at and least it's also to um it's 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 a very enjoyable race too to me is that you there's a lot of memories you make out there on the trail so greg uh um, just your point of view of uh when you really have to give up okay you we i just say goal here is finished but you have gone through a disappointment tell us about how uh, how to get over those scenario situation where you know you tried to give your best and um then you had to give up you know don't be like stubborn like me with just even though I should have just quit a long time ago, <laughs> I kept on going. Tell us about uh, that scenario. It'll be nice to listen to you and then about uh, how, when is the point saying, I'm done? Well, there should never really be a point where you just say you're done. But, yeah, th- there comes a point where I guess you've had enough, where, where you realize it's not going to be your day. And uh, sometimes you take that easy way out. Um, in, in my case, I think, what, the first two years, I stopped eating after, like, hour five. And then you, you get to, you know, hour 12, seven hours of no real f- fuel, and you're just like a zombie, you know. How are you going to face a 12-hour night, 13-hour night, when you haven't eaten in nine-plus hours or whatever the math may be? Unfortunately, I guess my engineering background kind of comes into play at that point, and you, you start doing math and everything else, and you just realize that, you know, you, you, you've painted yourself into a corner, and there's no real recovery except to eject. That's what happened the first two years. Actually, the first three DNFs. The fourth time, I just should have never started to begin with. I was too injured and just tried it you can't finish if you never start so i started gave it a shot and that just didn't happen uh the ankle locked up and that was all she wrote uh, i was gonna say yeah at least in my case you know you look back and you you try to figure out well, why what why did i stop eating you know why why did those jelly beans that seem so appetizing in the walmart aisle you know why why could i not eat them and what what can i eat throughout you know a day of this and, and drink and so on to keep me going and moving and you, you just try to figure out well what worked what didn't work and, and make yourself better yeah i i agree with a lot of greg's sentiments you know um pin 2015 was really the only i mean it's been my only race that i've dropped from you know honestly a lot of that had to do with the math and figuring out you know that you know i still had a window to potentially 
successfully finished, but I really did not have any cushion at all. And so it would have been highly unlikely that I would have, you know, been able to be successful. Um, and it didn't help any that it, you know, started pouring down rain again and after 20 plus hours of that already. And, and really, you know, not this isn't blaming it on my crew or my pacer, but, you know, they, they knew where things were and were realistic about it. And the other big thing, too, about being at Porter's Gap is uh, for that particular race, you couldn't access uh, Pinnacle with your crew. That's a 16-mile stretch. And so the other thing that you don't want to have to do is drop, you know, or, or miss a cutoff in the middle of nowhere as well, especially when it's raining in the middle of the night. But, you know, I think just realizing that, you know, it's not so much that you're quitting as much as just the probability of success is diminished to the point where, you know, it, it's just needless suffering at that point. I guess, yeah, that's one other issue with crews is you, you tend to feel responsible for their well-being. So in, in a sport like ultra running, you have to just think only of yourself. You can't really invest time in the well-being of your crew, but you're responsible for them. So it's kind of a dichotomy there. And uh, I felt bad for for my crew, and you know, took the easy way out a couple of times. And if you don't have a ride away, a ride home, it's a lot harder to uh, to take the easy way out. <laughs> That's definitely. I would like to thank all of you for coming to M Runs podcast. It was really uh, helpful to listen different experience each of you had and have or will have um, in running Pinhoti or training for Pinhoti. Before we close this uh, interview, I just wanted you guys to have a last word or word of, words of advice uh, of running 100 or running Pinhoti or training. Anything you can give words of advice to listeners so that they can take this forward. And as a lot of friends are headed to Pinhoti, first Saturday of November. So give us a word of advice. Okay, my advice will be towards um, Andrew since this is first um, 100 mile race my best advice would be to tell him to run aid station to aid station and drop bag to drop bag and just break it up in little chunks like that and he will be successful and to say good luck out there and i have a feeling that greg is going to have a great race and um i'm just looking forward to it this year definitely thank you sir Greg, you're next. Uh, I guess my advice is, you know, to everyone, just enjoy the day. Um, you know, you're, you're away from normal responsibilities in life. You're out in nature. Take it for what it is. Enjoy the people around you. Enjoy the experience and just take it all in and see where life takes you. Dan? Yeah, I think uh, these guys hit it right on the head. Um, put a big smile on your face. Don't take it too seriously. Um, the whole idea of running 100 miles is already stupid, so no need to take yourself too serious. Uh, enjoy <laughs> it and have fun. <laughs> Definitely. Drew, you heard all, all our guests here. Um, what What's your thought or what's your advice for yourself or anybody listening to? First Tom? of all, I want to... I want to thank all you guys for, for taking the time and, and, uh, and giving me a page full of notes here. I do appreciate it. Um, you know, just like y'all said, man, just keep moving forward. And um, just like the people on this podcast, uh, they're, they're just awesome. I mean, trail runners are awesome. They're a different breed. They help everybody. They, uh, they take time. They share knowledge. And they're just, they're just awesome. They're like, they're like a big family. Definitely. Um, my word of advice is to, like I say always, keep moving forward. Never give up. Uh, one of the words from uh, Carl Metzer, I just wanted to mention that it's only 30 hours of your life. Uh, it's a very minimum how, how, how much you'll be spending there. I know it'll get hard or just don't give up. Uh, like we talked about in this interview, things can just perk up. Uh, 
and you just start back up again sometime. It's uh, easy to give up and go home, but uh, don't be stubborn like me sometimes. But, but definitely keep moving forward. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> thanks uh, thanks for your time, guys. Uh, really appreciate it. Good luck uh, running uh, Pinhoti, uh, three of you. And uh, and I will be out there uh, taking photos. Uh, Ball Rock, if you need anything, let us know. Ball Rock Aid Station. And I will spend day and night at Pinhoti just just watching uh, of all of you running and enjoying, maybe suffering a little. So. All right. Have a good evening. Thank you. Take yeah. care. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emirates Podcast. Please visit emirates.com to listen to our previous podcast episodes, links to our social media channels, get race photos, get discount codes, and more.